Hey guys, Liz Lang here with Dr. Mark Burton, and we are back this week with part two of seven habits of highly effective people. We had technical difficulties last week, so we apologize for that, but well, life happens. We're going to jump right in to habit four of the seven habits of highly effective people. And we set a goal last week to get through the last four habits. And we will think, do it. That's our goal and we'll do it. <laughs> we'll yes. <laughs> yes, we will. We will get there. So we're going to get to the last four habits. So habit four is think win-win. And it's not so much a technique as a total philosophy for human interaction. It's a frame of mind and health that constantly seeks mutual benefit from in all human interactions, which is kind of, it's a quote from the book. And so it's not about my way, the highway, it's a better way, a higher way. So I particularly like this habit and I would say it's hard to achieve business. I think that's true. Yeah. I I agree with you on that point, but I think that's the mindset of business that it's all about profit and winning. See, when I think about it in terms of couples, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't use the term win-win, I would use compromise because I think when I talk about marriage and long-term relationships, I think it is all about compromise and accommodation. Mm-hmm. And so to me, win-win means there's some middle ground. You know, if you go into, I, I wouldn't even call it negotiation. So a couple has an issue that they want to work out and maybe it's as simple as where are we going to go on vacation? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have to come up with a decision eventually, but I think as we will get into in the fifth habit of uh, about listening and talking, you have to be able to understand each other and be willing to go to the middle ground. Like if I come in and say, nope, you know what? We're going to Mexico. That's it. And Mm -hmm. spouse says, nope, we're going to Hawaii. So that's a lose-lose. I mean, or I guess it's a win-lose if you decide to go somewhere, but somebody's going to be be unhappy. Mm -hmm. So I think a good skill for couples to acquire is the idea of win-win or compromise. What's the middle ground? What does it look like in between? Yeah, as best you can. Because one thing that we've talked about before is there's not always a clear-cut solution, right? One of, the ins- one of the instances we brought up is if one partner wants a- to have another baby and the other one doesn't, there's no right. compromise in that. Yeah. No, and that's a problem. And so, you know, some, somebody's going to, I hate, I really don't like the term win, lose in the the context of a relationship, but I sure, I sure get it in the context of business. Yeah. But right. Somebody's going to be happy and somebody's going to be unhappy Mm -hmm. in, in that case, because there isn't a compromise. I think I really, as I think about the issues that most couples encounter, I think there's most often a compromise in there somewhere. Well, okay. So. So, so here's one, and I feel comfortable talking about this because it's not like it's this huge sore spot, right? With between me and Curtis, but here's a good one that we're in a big, a pretty big difference of opinion. Curtis really wants to sell our truck and buy an electric vehicle. He okay. really wants to do it. I don't. We both have reasons, and they're both valid. But you know, in the end, um, I don't know. I guess I win. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. No, I don't what's really. Win. Wait, what's the reason you win? Because <laughs> you aren't going to sell the truck. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because it's um, well. But if I... you okay, so without getting into a lot of detail, you right. eat. So Curtis, Curtis has 
reasons, let's say that he wants an electric vehicle. Yes. Is that, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, so, very valid reasons, and I acknowledge so, those. Right. And so, and you have reasons that either you don't want an electric vehicle or you don't want to sell the truck. Don't want to sell the truck. You don't want to sell the truck. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I can, here's the compromise that it, it costs money. I mean, what's the compromise? Don't sell the truck and buy an electric vehicle. Yeah, no, that doesn't work either. That does, neither. See, that's lose lose because <laughs> neither of us wants to a, a third an car. Adi- an additional payment on a car. No, yeah. but I because you know if I think it'd be even more problematic. Say if you didn't see the value in buying an electric car, yeah. and then you'd be kind of head to head on yes, I want an electric car. No, I don't. So it's really a different issue. You don't want to sell the truck mm-hmm. and he wants to get an electric vehicle. So yeah. I'm just curious if you've just put the decision on hold or have you actually come to the decision? No, we won't sell the truck. I think we've just put the decision on hold for now. And okay, that's different. I think that's different. Yeah. I, mean, I, I see your point. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that, I mean, that doesn't fit in. Well, actually, you know what? In his book, he has the option of not coming to a decision. Yeah. I think it's win-win or no deal. No deal. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's not an exact fit. But I yeah. think as far as couples go, that's a pretty good fit. There's no deal right now. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. We're putting it on hold. Something might change. And I think to make that work for you two and for any couple, you'd have to say, let's revisit it in X amount of time. Yeah. Is, is and, what I would do. And in our circumstance, really what it comes down to is it wasn't just a, at least for me, I didn't just fought out say no, Right he presented this idea. He presented his reasons. I validated them. I listened and I actually took time to consider them and I genuinely thought them out. And then I presented my side of why I don't think it's a good idea right now. And ultimately it's not a huge source of conflict because we genuinely listen to each other and understand, but the idea of win-win, I agree that it doesn't always work. It's just not good in a relationship because it sounds too much like you're keeping score. Right. And so I think these different habits really overlap and we're, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about the fifth habit as far as communication, which we'll yep. get to in a minute. But I think that it's just as valid to say, let's put this on hold. Situation might change and then we'll revisit it. And as long as you set a time, let's revisit it in six months or something like that. Yep. Then you don't feel like you, either one of you have lost, you've just put mm-hmm. the decision on hold, but yeah. the advantage is you listen to each other. And, yeah. and it's, it seems like, as you describe it, that you listened and you understood. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, with couples, it's more about compromise. I use the word accommodation as well. And I think right. accommodation is like, I've said this in terms of, I want to, one of you wants a baby, the other one doesn't. So what do you do? I mean, there are only two choices. Either you have the child or you don't, and somebody's yep. going to be unhappy. And either one of the partners can make a gift to the other person. And I really, like, for instance, if I didn't want the child, I would say, okay, I, I really get how important this is to you. You know, if you really did the next habit, which is listening, mm-hmm. being understood, then I think one of you at times can say, I understand it. It's so important to you. I'm going to give you this gift. But you have to give it freely. Yep. And, you know, without being angry about it. No and strings attached. Yeah, no strings attached to it. And I think that works. Mm-hmm. But 
you're right. There are times when there isn't going to be a compromise and that. So that case, I would call accommodation. I'm accommodating your wish. And I think marriage is full of accommodation. And again, you know, the, we've talked about keeping score, how that doesn't work. And Bob certainly found that to be true in his research. You know, you want the relationship to be mostly equal, but it's never going to be exactly equal. Mm -hmm. You just don't want it to get too far out of whack in favor of one partner or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And this leads us perfectly into habit five, which Mm -hmm. is seek first to understand then to be understood. And so what this is, is it's empathetic listening and how he describes it in the book. And this is a quote from the book is most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. And everybody has been guilty of this at some point, I am sure, where you're listening to someone, but all you're thinking about is what you're going to say next. Right. And I, I mean, this is, I don't know what percentage of my work, three quarters of my work with couples. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're different situations, but often one person thinks they're always right. That's a pretty common situation. And if you really think you're always right, then it's going to be very difficult, if maybe impossible, to really listen to the other person with an open mind. And so I think you have to go into it with, it's the it's those three steps that I've we've outlined in previous episodes. Listen and understand is the first step. The second mm-hmm. one is validation. And the third one is empathy. And he's just describing it in a slightly different way, but I think it's exactly the same. And you know what's interesting is because he's approaching it from a business standpoint, right. I think this absolutely does work in businesses. And I've talked to, I think it's salesmen mostly mm-hmm. who have this. Salesmen have to be able to do this. They have to be able to listen with empathy and validation to whoever they're trying to sell something to. And so often, you know, if a couple comes in and one of them is in the sales and they've already, they already get it. It doesn't mean they do it with their spouse though. Yeah. It just means they have the skill Mm -hmm. and then you have to overcome, you know, maybe some other hurdles and which the common one, as I mentioned, is people think they're right. My idea is the best. and you've got to let go of that. You've got to really put yourself in there's some middle ground, or maybe my spouse's idea is better than mine. So I think this is really important to me. It, this is kind of the, it should be the center of the relationship. You've got to have empathy. And I think we've mentioned before in different episodes, this is what I think is missing in our culture. I think it's missing in the world, this idea of difference that, you know, we need to be comfortable with difference. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into that a little bit into that falls really well into our next habit. And so we'll circle back around to that idea. But I think it's so important to validate. And you talked about this just on the radio, and I want to Mm -hmm. bring it up again, because so many people are missing this today, that validation does not necessarily mean I agree with you. Right. And so many people are afraid to validate because they think you're agreeing with them when really validation just means I get where you're coming from. I'm really trying to get inside your emotional space and to understand it from your perspective. And you can certainly do that and say, you know, hey, I understand where you're coming from. And these are my thoughts on it. And so you can validate and share your own 
thoughts on the radio. You talked about this in context of with a teenager. And I think many, many parents are afraid to validate teenagers. And I get that. That's really scary when your teenager presents some idea and you're like, whoa, that is not the way I raised you. Right. (laughs) Well, yeah, but it's the word you use. It's your process. Exactly. and, And I think, well, I think as adults, as, as marriage partners, but also as teenagers, I think what our children want is they just want to be heard and understood, really. Yes. They want to be seen. And so I think I have mentioned before, many years ago, Lindy and I did a group at one of the local high schools. So I think there were sophomores and juniors. And this was the thing that every one of them talked about is my parents don't listen to me. Yep. And so what happens, it's the same thing that happens in a couple. If you if you feel like you aren't being listened to, then the response is I'll shut down and I just won't talk. Yeah. I'll see couples all the time where one of them is not is just quiet and the other spouse comes in and says he or she won't talk to me. Well, if you get into it, what happens is the other person doesn't listen well. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you're thinking about communication, it's really listening. How well do you listen? It's the first, one of the first questions I'll ask a couple, you know, when we jump into communication, how well do you listen to each other? And if they're honest, most of them will say not very well. Right. Which is probably one of the number one reasons you see couples is it's a breakdown of communication. Yeah. Yeah. It's always there, you know, and I'd say, you know, 80 to 90% of the couples in somewhere in that first session, somebody's going to say, we don't communicate very well. Or an extension of that is, we don't come to solution or solve our problems very well. So they can talk about it, but there's something missing in that they never get to the solution. Yeah. And I would imagine that it happens over a course of time. I mean, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you start out, you're young, you're love, you're in love and it's easy to listen to each, well, maybe not necessarily young, but you're, you're in love and it's new, it's fresh, exciting, right? Because people fall in love later in life, but, you know, and so it's really easy to get into that validating because you, you know, you want to know everything about them and you kind of start to slip away from that a little bit. I almost like you come desensitized to that passion, right? Mm-hmm. And to that almost, it's kind of like, you know, you court someone for so long, you know them so well, you feel like you don't have to court them anymore. Well, you should never stop courting your spouse. You need to continue right. to date your spouse. But here's what I think happens. I think most often it happens when you, you start to have children. which is what because and it's a time commitment and your focus goes elsewhere Gottman found this to be true you know people talked about the seven you've probably heard the term the seven-year itch and so what he was finding why are there more divorces around seven years and people thought it was this idea of oh you're just getting tired of the other spouse or something it's not new anymore but in reality what it is it's the average time for the birth of the first child Mm. is it seven years and so he went off he has a whole program called a book called and baby makes three and i think he has a program that he trains therapists in and so i think what happens is you have that first child you all of a sudden you're so tired right Mm -hmm. you're you're so tired you don't have a lot of time and the focus and i'm going to say rightly so for a time is on the survival of the child really yeah so absolutely. Doing everything to keep that child alive and what what a lot of couples don't do is they don't make it back to that time when they do have you know a few minutes in the day to focus on each other mm-hmm. and a lot a lot of couples that I see it's all about the what I call the context of their lives meaning they don't have a half hour 
or they think they here's this is more accurate they yes. think they don't have a half hour yep. but if you examine what's going on and most often you either take out tv watching facebook or social media if you take it out you can say you know how about taking a half hour from that and then focusing on each other and often this is simple, but it's all it takes is you change the context of their evenings where they're spending time together. But it's really difficult for a lot of couples to make that a habit. You have to yeah. make it a habit. Right. I mean, it can be anything because everyone's got to eat, right? Everyone's got to cook a meal. Like you have to do something. So even right. if you're doing something, but you're doing it together. And I think really one of the important things you said is you're turning off Facebook or TV yeah. Turning off technology, Tur- put right. the technology completely away. And even if you're really busy, just be doing something together. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so I realize Lindy and I are in certainly a different phase of our life. You know, we don't, all our children are adults and we mm-hmm. see our grandkids a couple of times a week, but we spend every evening together, most yeah. every sometime together. You know, she, she might read to me, we'll talk or, I mean, it's always that way. And I think that even couples who are busy and have children can find 15 minutes to a half hour. It doesn't take that long, mm-hmm. but you have, you're going to have to take the time from something else. So you have to make a choice to give something else up. We make time for what's important. That's right. And, and it's all about priorities. Okay. Well, so that's what, I, that's what I tell people. It says, you know, the, the message you're giving each other is this is important enough that we'll give up this other thing. Yeah. And that's a big, that's an important, big message. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So habit six is synergize. And this one I think is pretty important. And so this habit focuses mainly on everyone working together for the good of all. So trying your best to be a team player. And so the way Covey puts this is simply defined synergy means that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Basically, it's just, you know, everything is connected, right? And you're trying just to be as together as you possibly can. And I can see the importance from a business perspective, but I can also definitely see the the importance of this from an interpersonal relationship perspective. Right. And the word I use, again, it's a different word from business. Uh-huh. To, I use team a lot. I mean, you get, yeah. you've got to. And so I'll ask couples, how good of a parenting team are you? Now, what's interesting is most couples, even if there's conflict, they're typically a pretty good parenting team. And if they aren't, it's one of the places where they will both really focus on becoming better because they both care about the children. Right. Finances is another one. You know, you've, you've got to be a financial team. And, you know, it's pretty common that someone will come in and one person has more power than the other in terms of finances. But I really think that you work together and you are stronger and you work different ideas are always helpful. And it goes back, you know, a couple of habits ago where I said, you don't, you're not always right. Yes. It's, it's, you know, and, and sometimes other people have good ideas. You're not the only one in the world who has good ideas. But I think it's about being a team and seeing your life together as being a team housework. You've got to be a team, yeah. how you run the house. I use the term with sexuality. I think you've got to be a sexual team. Uh, you can't be independent of each other. It's a, it's a couple issue. 
And so when you choose to get married, Mm -hmm. I think you are implicitly really saying we're going to be a team. And I think more people ought to actually use that word and see it that way. We're getting married. We're a team. You're creating a couple. Yeah. I remember my aunt once described me and Curtis as, as a good team. Right. And Mm -hmm. at the time I thought, Oh, that, you know, I'd rather be described as like a cute couple or, you know, you guys just look so cute together. But now I realize, you know, as time has gone on, I was like, that's a really high compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I, th- I think maybe when you're first together and you're first married, you don't have children that yet you want to be the cute couple. Yeah. But as, as soon as your life gets more complicated. Yeah, it does pretty. It becomes complicated pretty quickly once you, you know, you both get out of school and, and you starting careers. Then you want to be a good team. Yep. Yeah. Teamwork makes the dream work. One hundred percent. Yeah. So one of the quotes from this book that Stephen Covey gives that I absolutely love is valuing the differences is the essence of synergy. The mental, the emotional, the psychological differences between people. And this goes back to that validation and empathy. And what is really missing in today's society is we have such a huge problem with differences and differences in today's world seem to mean that you're the enemy. And it's just so sad because so there is so much more as a society that we agree on than we disagree on, but all anyone can focus on is what we disagree on. And I mean, it is so important to be able to listen to someone who disagrees with you and to validate them and to value the fact that you're two separate human beings who have two separate beliefs and it's okay that you don't agree. Yeah, it is. And I agree with you that it is a huge problem. And the focus, I I don't know how you get the focus to shift right? from, you know, the what are the differences to what are the things that we all value and want. And so when I'm dealing with couples, what I try and help them see is the only place you really have influence is with each other and within your family. Yeah. And so if your focus is raising, let's say raising children or becoming the parents who really appreciate and value difference, you can raise children who do that, who value difference. It doesn't mean you give up your own value system. You can have your own value system and still appreciate that other people think differently than you do. And I think that's the only way that we can make a long-term difference in society is start raising children who are better at this than most adults are, accepting yeah. the differences. Nobody is born a bigot. They mm-hmm. are raised a bigot. And yes. that's social learning. And so parents, it's all up to us as parents to change that. Yeah, I agree. And, you know... Teach your kids to learn to be okay with differences. Teach them that. And you certainly can. You know, I mean, Mark, I think most people know that we disagree vastly on Mm -hmm. politics and religion. And yet here we are doing this podcast because it's okay that we disagree. Right. We disagree on some fundamental things, but I think there are many more things that you and I agree on as far as like the value of family, the value of relationships, things like that how to behave in the world in, let's say, a moral way, I think we're pretty close on most things. And so, yes, we have a few differences, but really, I think we have things more more in common than we think. And I think that's true for most people. 
Yeah. And one of my, I think I've mentioned Harville Hendricks before. He, uh, he and his wife, Helen McCully Hunt, wrote a book that I really like called Getting the Love You Want. And one of my favorite quotes from him is the, one of the principal tasks of marriage is mm-hmm. to learn to be comfortable with difference. Yep. You don't marry yourself. Mm-hmm. You actually marry someone else. Yeah. And so, you know, when couples come in to the office and it's one of the things I'm trying to assess how comfortable are they, you know, with the differences they each bring. Do, does one person want the other one to be more like themselves? And that's never going to work. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hi there, my name is Maya Acosta and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. No, I mean, appreciate that you're different people, that you like different things. I mean, it makes life interesting. Yes. Right. I mean, can you imagine how boring it would be to to live with just yourself, how boring it is to live with just yourself? Right. I mean, value and appreciate the fact that you're married to a very, very different human being than yourself. Right. This can we can even look at this from a more scientific view or an evolutionary view, or because what's very well known is if you marry someone who is genetically similar to you, that's not very healthy. Mm, yep. What you want is to marry someone who is genetically different to you and you merge the two as yeah. far as your offspring. So right. your offspring are going to be healthier when you have two people who are genetically different. So, I mean, the, the most famous example of this is the royalty in Europe because there's yep. so much intermarrying over there and yeah. that, that became a big problem. So mm-hmm. it's really, a, you know, even evolutionarily speaking, you want to have some differences because it makes us stronger genetically. And I think yeah. the same thing could be said for us, let's call it emotion in our emotional world or our, in our intellectual world. I think that we become stronger when we intermingle these different ideas. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So habit seven is sharpen the saw. And this is mainly focusing on bring all of these habits together and kind of really it's about upkeep, right? I mean, keeping up with everything, you know, keep, I mean, a saw is a tool and like any tool, if you just let it go and you don't ever sharpen it, or if you don't ever put some maintenance into it, the same you would as a car, it's not going to work very well. Yeah. The the example he gives, I think the sharpen the saw comes from an example of he's, or the story of someone who's sawing wood with a, a saw that is dull. Mm-hmm. And the person comes up and said, well, why don't you stop and and sharpen your saw? And the person says, well, I don't have time. I've got all this wood that yep. I need to saw, so I need to keep going. And so the importance of taking the time. See, I think you and I saw this chapter a little bit differently. I see it as self-care. 
I mean, I, I yeah. think he's talking about self-care as far as in, in all these different dimensions. You know, he talks about eating well, getting sufficient rest and relaxation, exercise, practicing daily meditation, being in nature. And he certainly talks about the spiritual realm that's mm-hmm. important for a lot of people and certainly was to him. I think that in his mind, you have to take the time to really focus on those other areas or you aren't going to be good with the other six habits. Right. You've got to take care of yourself first, which is his sharpening the saw. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this can be so hard to do in as fast paced, ever moving society. And I know I've said this before, but if you don't take time to rest, you're going to make time to be sick. Right. And this has maybe been over talked about, but maybe it can't be over talked about is moms often really struggle with this is because, you know, our whole focus, our lives revolve around our families, around taking care of our kids and our spouse and our house and everything that we often neglect ourselves. And when you neglect yourself, you are not being the best caregiver you possibly can be. When you are tired, you're more likely to make a parenting mistake. And that's not to say that, you know, you're a bad person, right? That's, that's not what I'm getting at because the last thing moms need is more shame or guilt. No, it's not, it's not that it's just, everybody has limits. You get tapped out. You know, it's not like moms are superhuman. You're not. And, and so if at all possible, you need, I think mothers need to have a regular break where they're doing something for themselves, whether it's exercise or sitting in a hot tub, it doesn't matter what it is or just taking a walk. Yeah, Uh, it's whatever serves to energize you, you know, recharge Mm -hmm. your batteries. Yeah, you you can't be a good parent if you're running on empty all the time. Yeah. If your parents, if all they see growing up is just a haggard mom all the time, man, my mom was just so tired. They're not going to be thinking, oh, my mom worked so hard to be such a good mom. They're going to be thinking my mom was tired all the time. Yeah. Right. And so think of it from that perspective. Are you going to be able to give more if you give to yourself first? It's the same thing of you when the plane's going down, you put on your own oxygen mask before you put on your kid's oxygen mask because right. it doesn't do anyone any good if you go if you're unconscious. So and right. it's the same thing. So, and I think that one thing that's not explicitly mentioned in this chapter, I think it's really important for people to have quiet time. Yes. Time to contemplate. And I don't think we have enough quiet time. And I think that some people have the attitude that if I'm like, for instance, sitting out on the deck, looking at the trees and nothing, you know, it's just quiet, that somehow it's a waste of time because culturally, I think there's this value on always being busy. Yep. But I think that's a big mistake that mm-hmm. we don't have enough time to just stop and contemplate. Uh, yeah. I think we talked about this last week or in our last episode was, you know, learn to just disconnect. Right. It's so important to just be comfortable being with yourself. Yeah. I'm reading an interesting book by an author I've mentioned before. This author, Johan Hari, wrote a book I like called Lost Connections. And one of his latest books is called Stolen Focus. Okay. And it's, I mean, it's about a lot of things that take our focus, Mm -hmm. but he certainly spends several chapters on media, you know, computers, social media, things like that. And so 
you know, you, you and I have certainly talked on several episodes, the importance of uh, disconnecting, putting away your phones, having an electronic free zone, mm-hmm. like in the evening, you know, so a few minutes ago, we talked about couples can set aside 15 minutes to a half hour where they can talk. And it is so critical that you do not have your phone near you because mm-hmm. if it vibrates or it rings and it draws your attention away, from what you're doing. And that is not the message you want to give to your partner in that moment. And I I just think everyone does better by disconnecting for a certain amount of time. And how often do you see couples, just the two of them sitting at a restaurant and they're both on their phones? That is so sad to me. It's so sad to see that. And you see it really often. Yep. I'm trying to think, is is there an age difference? Because I certainly see younger couples doing that. Yeah. I wonder if older couples do that. I, I think it's probably less likely just because we didn't grow up with that. But I think for younger couples and middle-aged couples, it's a habit. Yeah. Yeah. I out your phone. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and it's, some, it's a skill that Curtis and I have learned. And, you know, not that we can always necessarily be 100% phone free when we're on a date because we've got young mm-hmm. kids, right? But, you know, in general, when we are in the restaurant, we sit down and we really try to engage and have a good conversation. Don't let go of that. That is right. a big part of sharpening your marital saw, as it were, is don't let go of that just desire to know and learn about one each other. Because I guarantee you, you're not going to be the same people you are 10 years from now. And right. you want to know your spouse. You want to know your partner as they grow and change. We are dynamic through the lifespan. And so the only way to stay, you know, interested or knowing each other is be curious. We've talked about the the trait of being curious about your partner. And I think my worry is that a lot of the younger couples are losing the ability to have conversations face to face. It's just something that doesn't happen very often. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So renewal, chapter seven, sharpening the saw, I think is all about renewal. Take care of yourself first, Mm -hmm. and then you're going to be better able to do those other six habits. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I I like this book. I liked it a lot, and I found a lot of commonalities in, you know, he's approaching it from a business standpoint. I saw so many common themes that I use with couples, and so I think they're just generally good principles to live by. Yeah, this was a fantastic book. And, you know, we certainly deserve a pat on the back because that's a wrap. And we got through all four of those habits. We achieved our goal. We (laughs) did. It's good for us. (laughs) Yes, by golly, we've done it. So next week is going to be a really good episode. We are going to talk about domestic violence. And we are also going to talk about the recent Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. So that's going to be a really good one. And um, I'm looking forward to this. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, we're going to we're going to have to find the right balance here because I mean, on the one hand, domestic violence is in all honesty, it's a serious problem. It, It is a serious problem. But Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, I mean, they're like a clown car going through your house. That was such a train wreck. That was such a train wreck. It was hard to look away. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it, it really was. All right, we will see you all next week, everyone. Have a good week, everyone.